0: Welcome back to the Life in Digital podcast. This week, I'm joined for a special episode with Natalie Dawson, Strategic Agency Sales Director at The Ozone Project. There is a trigger warning with this episode around trauma at birth. If you're able to, this is a very powerful episode and one that I am immensely proud to share with you all. And a big thank you to Natalie for opening up and sharing her experience with us. Now, nothing can prepare you for a difficult birth. Natalie shares the trauma she experienced giving birth to her beautiful son who was born with Williams Syndrome. She opens up about her journey back to work where she continues to grow and the lessons she has learned now that she is approaching her second maternity leave. We hope you will enjoy. Okay. Yeah.
1: Cool. All right, well, Welcome to the Life and Digital Podcast. Thank you. Thank Can you for having me.
0: Of course. Can you tell me a little bit about yourself, a little introduction to you?
1: Yeah, um, I'm Natalie. I Natalie Dawson. I look after strategic strategic sales director at Bosm Project. Um, I look after all of our strategic business, really, particularly for agencies. So whether that's um, agencies which have a contract with us, which is you know the majority of agencies, um, or those that perhaps have clients that have done some really interesting pieces of business. So that goes from anything from you know a really in-depth piece of work right through to talking more about perhaps more DE and I, um, sustainability, data. So yeah kind of things that are a little bit outside the realms of day to day I would tend to lead on that
0: and you were their first employee I was yeah, yeah back in
1: September 29 2018 sorry. wow yeah so we've been going for four years so yeah it was um I remember I used to phone my CEO Damon in the morning um and say where are you going to be today Damon I need to say and for those that don't know um who Ozone are we're a uh, joint um, collaboration we're owned by we're really built by publishers for brands um and so we're owned by news um telegraph reach and um who am i missing? guardian sorry mm-hmm. um and so together they own 25 percent each which is fantastic and then since then we've collaborated with other publishers so we're now around 16 strong um offering all quality um premium publishers so offering that kind of data at scale um bringing it together having that one bird's eye really view of a user and then being able to target them within premium environments so it's, it's a really amazing offering um but yeah we've definitely come a long way since day one um if he has a saving phone and damon and asked him where he's going to be and it would be in one of the publisher offices like trips are along and saying yeah <laughs> can I come sit with you, please? sitting in one of our publisher offices um to now we've you know i think are we on our third office, third or fourth office? Um, uh, we've got a really lovely office now, and, you know, it's all fully equipped with breakfast and all that kind of stuff, so you know you've made it when you get free breakfast. <laughs> yeah, we've got the cereal under
0: there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and you said you're about 100 people strong now? Yeah, yeah. yeah, I can't remember the exact number, but yeah, around about yeah. 100.
1: It's got to the... We got to that tipping point of I don't know everybody's name, so mm. that's a kind of that's when you can tell that you're all of a sudden really a a yeah. bigger business. Um, now, I've worked for really big businesses, and obviously, I'd never know everyone's name um, there. But um is a funny one. We're at that lovely size of being, I guess, small to medium, where we're still very family vibe, but mm-hmm. big enough to not only be a few of you sitting, you know, around one table.
0: Yeah, and I reached out to you because you'd come to one of our events with Jimmy. Yeah. Um, and we spoke about you joining the podcast, what that could look like, and you reached out about a topic that was really close to you. Yeah. Do you mind just kind of sharing a little bit about that backstory?
1: Yeah, of course. Yeah, I think um, I did a panel here on, on transparency, probably. Um, and, you know, that's, and when you approached me, so yeah, I can absolutely talk about there's various things. I can talk about dI and i sustainability, transparency, trust, anything like that in our digital space. Yeah. Um, But there was an area that was really important to me specifically and that was around parenting, um, maternity leave, having a difficult maternity leave and then returning to work and what that looked like. Um, I'm eight and a half months pregnant right now, so I'm nearly going on my next maternity leave. Um, And I guess the tips um, that I've learned along the way, what I would do differently. Um, Mm. Now, hopefully my next maternity leave won't be as hellish, which I'm going to go on to talk about, um, as my first one. But um, but yeah, there's certainly things that I've learned around controlling the narrative and being the driver, not the driven. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's really important for any parents returning to work, um, particularly those that, as I say, had, have had or you know will have a similar situation to me that um, you feel pretty much out of control. So, if I give you a wee bit of the backstory, mm-hmm. and try not to go into too much detail, and I do want to have a quick trigger warning that if anybody, you know, is going through a really dark time, I hope that you find this helpful, um, and not. Uh, I don't want to drag up some of you know the memories that I ha- that I have around that time are quite tough. So I know for some people maybe listening to this might be a bit tricky, um, but yeah, hopefully you'll you'll see that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. Mm-hmm. And um, the two reasons really that I wanted to talk about it was for those people who really just need to know that they're not alone. Mm-hmm. You know, it is a very isolating time, very lonely time to feel like you're going through something that you've got no control over and that is a very sick child. Yeah. Um, and the second thing is really for employees and employer colleagues and employers to understand that that person might be a little bit different when they return and mm-hmm. how to I guess, communicate with them. So one of the things when I returned to work, I mean, I'm going to go to talk about what happened, but um, one of the things that I found when I returned to work is I couldn't talk about my son at all. Mm-hmm. I pretty much put a ban on talking about him because whenever I did, I would burst into tears, you know, and it was just, that's not appropriate. For me, that was not appropriate work behavior. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm a little bit kinder to myself now, having, um, you know, I guess, had time to process and accept um, but when I did come back to work, I um, yeah, I, I just couldn't talk about it. And I think people probably didn't really get that, you know. And I think it's helpful, perhaps, for people to hear this and understand yeah. maybe the reasons why. So, um, in, it was June 2020. I was 40 weeks pregnant. I had an amazing pregnancy. I was really fit throughout, continued working out. We went into lockdown, of course, in March. So, mm-hmm. I had from March to June which is kind of the uncomfortable bit of pregnancy when you're pretty big, um, at home, mm-hmm. able to, to work from home. I'd My cover, my metal Lee cover joined, um, I think, around two months before I left. So that was a great hand over time. I was really enjoying doing that with her. Um, I was, you know, I was flying high. I was about <laughs> to do the, you know, I'd, I'd waited quite a long time after getting married to, to try to fall pregnant we were really lucky we fell pregnant very quickly um, yeah so it was like the best time of my life couldn't wait to go on mat leave but at the same time um, felt I was leaving my job in a yeah. really good position um, and so yeah I went in on my 40-week appointment date I went in for extra monitoring because I had felt reduced movement mm. and I thought maybe that's just because I'm really big you know maybe it's just because the the, i didn't know what sex it was turned out to be a boy but um maybe that's just because he's massive and that's why there's not a lot going on there but i kind of did a bit of giggling as you do i thought you know what i'm just it was, was something niggling at me so i went in and checked and um there was when the room went from being very quiet and you know open the if you've ever been for reduced monitoring you know what it's like basically you're in a bay of other mums everybody's got their bellies out with all their, their you're strapped up yeah and you get a little um handheld device and you basically touch it every time you feel a piece of a bit of movement with all, so, the, other yeah, all the other women there all other women there all in sort of seats and you've got you've got this um imagine kind of you know the bay yeah. the, uh, curtain that comes yeah, yeah, around yeah. but um but yeah they're all open so you can see all the other mums um so there to be like one or two nurses floating between everyone mm-hmm. um and it was COVID, of course, everyone's in the masks. So it was on my own. Um, and uh, yeah, so I didn't feel any movement during that time, the 40 minutes of monitoring. And the conversation kind of started from, you're 40 weeks, would you consider an induction? To and me saying, actually, I want to wait and go naturally. Up to the point where I realised things were getting pretty serious. When my little bay, the curtain got closed around me. And the room filled up with um, various people, nurses, doctors, anesthesiologists um, explaining what could happen, if, you know, getting what, what happens during a spinal tap, etc. And I'm sitting there thinking, what the heck's going on? I'll take the induction, I'll <laughs> take the induction. Um, and they said, oh, it's too late for that. Have you got anybody with you? And, I, and luckily, as I say, it was COVID time. So my husband was working from the car, basically. He didn't even have a car parking space because anybody that's been to Homerton Hospital knows that the car parking is absolutely rubbish. Yeah. Um, so and the nurse said, just leave it on the side. Um, leave it on the side of the road and come up. This baby has to come out right now. So by the time she went running down to get him, um, I, by this point, I was gowned up straight through to theatre it was really you know I I went in I think I was in shock um Mm. went through to theatre didn't really know what was going on um, and they proceeded to you know obviously I I had a section and I had a wee boy but you know those moments of you that you expect and I did I did hypnobirthing and NCT and all that stuff and you expect that golden hour, yeah. you know, um, and the baby to cry and you to have that tearful moment and get the pictures and all that stuff. Yeah. None of that happened mm-hmm. for us. Our wee boy was pulled out. Um, he was resuscitated at birth. He was in a very sorry state Bless that um, um, I didn't get a chance to touch him, hold him and anything like that. Um, he was whipped off and he was then, as I say, resuscitated. He was ventilated. And from then on, it became a complete nightmare. Um, it turned into sort of three months of absolute hell. Bear in mind, it's COVID time, so mm-hmm. my husband and I couldn't be together at this time. Um, I was put back into a bay after being, you know, making sure I was okay and was sealed up, et cetera. Um, I was put back into a bay of women with their babies all crying around them. I didn't know if mine was alive or dead. Um, it was, it, my husband wasn't allowed to stay with either of us. Again, had to go home. <laughs> Um, it was just absolutely shocking the the whole experience of that and that was the first sort of couple of hours Mm. from that goes to and I'm not going to go into too much detail but basically everything failed he had multiple organ failure and he wasn't able to take on any nutrients he was just passing through all all, any milk he was getting was passing it through so he had liver failure as well he had um, he's had he had seizures, oh he had unexplained bleeding, so he couldn't stop his bleeding, um, which meant that we had to go to, you know, in the middle of the night, got rushed to another hospital. We phone, a phone call in the middle of the night saying he's failing, you know. At that point, you're like, oh God, it's not going to make it. Every day, we went into hospital and spoke to the consultant, and um, we were told, you know, just be happy for the time you've got with him so it was really really hard um then as we sort of progressed through and we actually did have a diagnosis at that point of Mm -hmm. Williams syndrome which is he did have um of the heart and he's got some other pulmonary stenosis so he's got some heart conditions um because he had this very enlarged heart the doctors at this point sent away for genetic testing because yes he had other things going on that didn't necessarily connect with those mm. but because there was this heart problem they wanted to send away for the genetic testing so thankfully they did that pretty early on um, so that came back um, as, as i say william syndrome which is a one in twenty-two thousand um genetic condition um it's it's no de novo so it's not connected to my husband right it's just one of those things wow. And um, that means he's got he's got a 1.4 megabit deletion on one of his chromosomes. Okay. So what that essentially means is he's got some um, he's got a little bit of feature he will have as he gets older. But currently, I mean, I just think he's as cute as button. But he has <laughs> got some little features that you know are Williams syndrome esque. Okay. Um, he's got a heart condition. He's got um, a kidney condition. He can't take too much calcium, so he's on special mm-hmm. a special diet. Um, he uh, he's got high blood pressure because he because of the stenosis, which is basically the thinning of the veins, yeah. um, which causes a real uh, turbulence effect within the body, and that's obviously very hard, bad for your heart as mm-hmm. well. So he's on medication for that, and um, he does have some learning difficulties too. Uh, I think he's doing really well, but yeah. he's uh, he, he you know he, he does he is slow to milestones, but um, but he's getting there. Um so that was um that was that was kind of all happening in the middle of it. It was kind of like bittersweet when we got the diagnosis mm-hmm. though, because it was some reason for why this was yeah. all going on. Um at six weeks old, he was getting ready to leave hospital. We'd been and as I say, we'd been in and out, we were in out. obviously it's been every day there, so we were shattered. I was still trying to keep my milk supply, so I was pumping the whole time. Really? Um, setting my alarm every night. So I was absolutely shattered and Physically and mentally exhausted. Yeah. Um, my body was... I lost all my baby weight straight away because I was so sh- you know, stressed out and I wasn't really eating. So I was pretty emaciated myself. Um, and then uh, and then at six weeks, as I say, we were getting ready to take him home. Thank goodness. Mm. And um, he developed an infection called MSSA, which turned into sepsis. And oh that sepsis God. went right through his body up into his cerebral fluid as well. Yeah. So then, you know, we were like, oh God, this is very serious again of course sepsis as you know can kill you um so very very serious again went into we had to get transferred at that point because he's got a heart condition he needed an operation mm-hmm. he had he had to be in great ormond street because it's a specialist mm-hmm. um unit for babies with heart heart conditions um so we went there and um, i moved in at that point for uh, i think it was about a month just over about a month, yeah, overall, we were back and forth. Um, and my husband, Liam, he he would come and visit me, but he wasn't allowed in the hospital. So he didn't get to see his little boy. So that was really sad. Um, and yeah, the, from the first operation, he had a blood clot, which needed another operation. So it was just like one thing yeah. after another after another. Um, finally, we got out. We agreed that we would get out on the proviso that he had another three months, of, sorry, another month of... Um, Antibiotic IV treatment. Okay. So on the proviso that we brought them into hospital every day for a month. When you're be- when you've so been in hospital demanding. for that much time, yeah. you would do anything to get your child out. But yeah. actually, in hindsight, maybe we should have stayed in. I don't know. Um, so we spent the next month in hospital, and then after that, um, and then after that, we had three months of injections at home. So husband and I had to administer those injections morning and night, which on a tiny baby who's you know been very curly, so is extremely skinny and ti- yeah. you know li- very little um that was pretty horrifying yeah, I'll be honest so that was kind of what happened in my mat leave um so yeah that took me up to about six months uh, five months I'd say of a baby having a baby mm-hmm. um so my first five months were were pretty dreadful when I got home so that was definitely fight or flight mode I was yeah in fight I was in fight you know fight for this child's life yeah um and then when I got home that's really when my mental health issues started mm-hmm. because it, I had time to, yeah. I guess, try to decompress a wee bit. But mm-hmm. also just, um, I guess, I went into a bit of PTSD. There was a bit of PTSD, a bit of anxiety, definitely turned into a bit of depression. So, yeah, and uh, thankfully had quite a lot of therapy. But
0: Yeah. But yeah. Honestly, like, because I know when we spoke, you you said it just before this it was going so well no one plans for this Mm -hmm. they? and one of the reasons why you wanted to share it was just to hear somebody else talk about it
1: yeah it's not
0: spoken about
1: it's not no I think people and even now people sometimes say to me the people don't really ask about my maternity leave back then now because obviously I'm going to go on another maternity leave now but um you know I remember when people were saying to me how is your maternity leave and I would just say well, normally I'd burst into tears, but yeah. once I kind of got over that, yeah. um, I'd, i I probably just go, oh, you know, we had some issues, but I didn't really want to talk about it mm. because also people don't really want to hear it, you know? Yeah, um, they, they kind of go, oh, yeah, tell me. And then you start talking to them and they're like, oh, my goodness, that sounds awful. Mm. Uh, can we just stop? Mm. I just want to think about, you know, the happy things. And I'm like, yeah, yeah I know. Like I want to think yeah. about happy things too, but some of us don't get that experience. Right. And so I think it's really important that we're all aware of mm. And that's not just, you know, I had my personal problem was my little boy's health, you know, but a lot of people have, a lot of mums have terrible postnatal depression, you know, we don't talk about it enough. Um, And I think it's really important that we as an industry are more open to that because, you know, life isn't sweetness and light at all times. Yes, of course, we all have the great days, but we also have some pretty dark days too. Yeah. Um, And it's
0: important that we support each other. Yeah. For you you've, you've spoken about that period where you were in hospital and you obviously know a lot about something that prior to that experience you I'm assuming nothing about yeah um, having a disabled child how has that impacted yeah. your life and how does that continue to impact
1: yeah. you yeah you know I think that's a, it's a great question because it's not I think you don't quite understand before you have this situation happen to you, I don't think you quite, under, I think you don't quite understand how you're going to feel about it. I probably, I didn't even really think about it for other people. I was more like, oh, that must be really hard. I probably felt a little bit sorry for them, but I didn't really think about it because it just wasn't, I didn't see it very often. No. All my friends that have got children, none of them that I'm aware of have got any problems. So I I just expected that I would have a, a kid that didn't have any problems as well Mm -hmm. you know like everybody has you know of course there's a couple of people but i didn't see that in my future Mm -hmm. um and so when it did when i did find out that lachlan had or when we did just my husband and i um i remember very clearly finding out the diagnosis we got pulled into a room anybody who spent any time in intensive care will know that the weekends are the worst Saturday, Sunday, you dread it because there's hardly any staff on and something Mm. always goes wrong. So every week we would be getting up to Friday thinking, please let him be released on, even when he was really sick and there's no way we could have looked after him at home. Um, We were like, please let him be released on Friday so that we don't have to have another weekend of hell. Um, But I remember anyway, getting our diagnosis, I think, well, initially we got pulled into a room by a consultant at the weekend and they told us that they thought it was something else, which was which would give him three months to live. Um, So that was pretty devastating because that's what we kind of went away thinking. Great Almond Street also, um, you know, kind of said we are looking into that. I asked about that specific uh, problem Um, and he said, you know, it's something that we've got to consider. The doctor there said it was something that we've got to consider, which in my mind, I take that as that's what he's got then. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, it kind of catastrophized that um, luckily, in a way, it was a bit of a relief when we found out he had Williams syndrome because mm-hmm. it wasn't, um, it's not life-threatening. Yeah. Uh, he's got a heart condition, which means that could be life-threatening, but the actual chromosome impact itself is not life-threatening. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I kind of went through, when I found out I was kind of happy in a way, and yeah. the way that the doctor described it to us was they're very extroverted, but they can have anxiety as well. And when my husband and I left the room, he was like, he's definitely got that off you then. <laughs> 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 so I don't think we quite understood the severity of it. Yeah, we <laughs> didn't really get the whole, like, this is actually like a proper disability mm. rather than just a personality trait, which is an extreme extrovert <laughs> and suffers a little bit with um, you know, um So, yeah, that was a bit of a strange, strange thing to a strange way to be told really because then we have to do a lot of reading ourselves on it yeah um and slowly we started to understand you know that that meant our lives were different now forever Mm -hmm. um what that means is you know he has to have therapies that are often there's not enough resource on the nhs so we have to pay for things which Mm -hmm. is expensive Mm -hmm. so that's things like physiotherapy um uh, speech and language therapy Um, He doesn't need to have occupational therapy right now, but that's something that maybe in the future he will. Um, You know, he will need just extra support throughout his life. Also, we don't know what his future looks like yet. Williams syndrome is a spectrum disorder. So you can be pretty high functioning. Now by pretty high functioning, I mean, hopefully live an independent life, hopefully be able to live on your own and maybe have a job um, that's pretty low skilled. um, Or not be able to live on their own and really need support throughout their, their entire life. And mm-hmm. that's a scary thought. I mm-hmm. feel like at the moment, he feels... He's two years old, so we can't yeah. really tell. But I feel like he's doing really well. So, of course, we're hopeful that he's on the yeah. high-functioning scale. Um But, you know, it's hope for the best, prepare for the worst. Mm-hmm. So what that means now is we also have to consider, financially, how can we support him once we're gone or retired? Yeah. You know, how can... We do the, and I say, if we're going to cost of living crisis, it's probably not the best time to be trying to save or have a maybe have a second property or something like that, which yeah. we don't right now. But that's kind of on the roadmap of what we'd like to do. So, I think having a child with a disability, a long term impactful disability that's a cognitive disability as well, which means you know, getting a, a decently paid job is probably not in their future. Mm. Um, yeah, it adds another level of stress onto yeah. you. Um, I definitely went through the grief curve when I found out. So, you know, started off with absolutely denial, then yeah. went, then kind of went into um, anger, mm. then sadness and really a bit of a depression, to be honest. And, um, and now I'm in acceptance. And I mean, yeah, my son's amazing. Yeah. But he's got, you know, he does have his challenges, which mm. mean that we have to be aware of them. But on a day-to-day level, we couldn't be happier.
0: And I hope you don't, I hope this doesn't sound ignorant, but I just assumed with a lot of disabled children that the woman, or I guess the man, but it's usually the woman, mm-hmm. would step away. Um, and that's that's not happened. No. And I wonder if you could talk about that and how yeah. you're managing to do both. Yeah. Because I would imagine for a lot of women, they do feel that um, they have to step away.
1: Yeah, I think... Uh, I think it probably now There is. I know people who have, have stopped working. Things, yeah. So I don't want to. Um, there's no right well, way. Yeah. There's no right no. way. That's it. For me, that was not the right way. It wouldn't have got my son wouldn't be getting the best out of me if yeah. I was to be a, a carer. Um, I'm better suited to work. I'm. I, I love work. It makes me feel good about myself. It makes me feel empowered, and it. I, just get, jo- I get just get a lot of joy out of work. I also love <laughs> earning a crust. You know, I love earning my own money. Um, people say, like, you know, what was your hobby when you were a kid? Oh, well, I did have hobbies. Dancing and things like that. But really, it was working, which is a bit weird, eh? Yeah. Even in my spare time, I'd go and work in my auntie and uncle's fish and chip shop for no money, by the way. <laughs> Probably a few pennies. sweets. Hustler. <laughs> but um, just love work. Um, without sounding really cliched. Uh, so I think that... For me, the thought of becoming a carer, and that, you know, we did talk about that when I was on that leap. Is that something that I would do? I think my husband probably quickly realised that I wouldn't be very well suited to that. Mm-hmm. I, I would have struggled in that role. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I I definitely focused around throwing myself into work, which did have some, you know, that can be difficult as well mentally, mm-hmm. um, especially at the beginning I found that. But um, but yeah just having a really good childcare provider um, is important and seeking uh, help from your authority, your local authority. So in my local authority, we in London, we were going to be going to one nursery and they'd kind of said, look, that's not the best nursery for SEN children, um, special educational needs. Um, You know, this one's probably a bit better. They've got more practitioners. Now it's a regular nursery. It's just, they've got more highly trained staff. It's outstanding. It's the only outstanding nursery in the area. Um, it was it had a huge waiting list, which we didn't get on initially. You know, we were on the waiting list. There's no way Lachlan was getting in there, but the um, local authority pops up the list and got us on. So wow. I think like including using the resources that you yeah. can are really important. Like, yes, yeah, speak to your local counselor. Like, why not? Other people do. Mm-hmm. So I think that really, really helped us. But yeah, the, the working the working mum thing. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I just think do what makes you happy and right yeah. for your family. I see work is a big part of my identity. Mm. It's a big part of me, and I really wanted not to give up that part of me. You know, yes, I had a child that's got a disability, but I'm still me as well. We can we can have both. We can both coexist. I don't need to just become a carer because you know I've had a child that that perhaps has some issues. Um, also, I know I probably would have end. I would have ended up resenting that life. Mm. Um, and yeah. It feels and, like it's a yeah. choice, right? Yeah, it's about choice. Yeah. And do you know what though? That's one thing is I'm very lucky to be able to make the choice. Mm. There are some people that can't. Mm. Uh, the the cost of childcare in this country, particularly London, is insane. Sixty um, like no, yeah. percent? of An average person. I mean, it's our our uh, childcare is more expensive than our mortgage. It's crazy. What? So, and we don't have. You can obviously hear by my accent. We don't have um, parents nearby, so I can't. There's no one that can look after Lachlan a couple of days a week for me. So we've got no choice but to do that. Um, I say we've got no choice for the choice we made. Yeah. That's what we have to do. Um, but I'm just lucky we've been able to even make that choice because for a lot of people, um, you know, full-time childcare is just out of the question. Mm. So, yeah, we're, very, we're blessed in a way to have both have jobs and careers that allow us to make these choices.
0: Yeah. And there was an added complexity because she really wanted to come back to work, right? Like, mm. you had this vision of how it was going to go, and that kind of got swept from underneath you, but yeah. you still had that desire to come back. So how did you kind of battle that period? You said you mm. got support, which is amazing. Not yes. everyone does yes. do that. I
1: was very lucky that... Um, I I, I had three different types of therapy Mm -hmm. um, during my time off and definitely I've found that there was one that was much better, much more suited to me. Mm -hmm. And I'd say anybody that's going into therapy for any reason whatsoever. um, One, don't go with preconceived ideas. Mm -hmm. I admit that I definitely had preconceived ideas around therapy. Uh, If you'd asked me before all of this, would I consider having some therapy? And by the way, I probably needed it then too. (laughs) Um, But would I have done it? I would say no way. And, you know, I'd cast up some thoughts around the types of people that might go into therapy you know which is just awful how Mm. judgy is that Mm. so i can look back at myself and say do you know what i probably wasn't the best person for things like that um so yeah the type of therapy that worked best for me was a thing called compassion focused therapy Mm -hmm. i did have talking therapy and a few other things as i say but the best one that worked for me was compassion focused therapy And that type of therapy is focused around understanding why, compassionately, understanding why something's happening. So, for example, for me, the reason that I was struggling when I came back to work, I struggled as well, was because I didn't feel part of a tribe. Mm. Um, I felt very alone and um, very isolated. I wasn't the same person as I used to be. I was worried that people weren't looking at me as, as the same person as I used to be, judging me kind of as being a weaker Version of myself again, probably a little because of this tearfulness, um, and the you know the, the compassion focused therapist um, talked a lot about giving you some sort of rationale for that. So one of the theories is that from right from cavemen days, we we're born to be in tribes, mm-hmm. you know, because if you're not in a tribe, then you can't hunt and gather on your own, yeah. um, and so you probably die. So you know, we're it's inbred within us to be mm-hmm. part of a group, part of a community. Um, and so when you don't feel part of that community you've always been part of before, you feel very, i say, isolated, alone and, and scared as heck, to be honest. Yeah. Um, and that's definitely was my experience. So when I returned to work, I was having therapy at that point anyway, but I continued it, which was great. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not, I'm not in therapy currently any longer because right now I feel like I'm in a pretty good place. Mm-hmm. Um, I, It's also pretty expensive therapy, you know, <laughs> yes. like I think that's something that we need to talk about. My wee boy needs extra things, like um, you know, he's under some uh, private therapies just to help with his milestones and things. And it does brings the cost of living crisis. We yeah. need to think about you know um, priorities, and it's definitely a priority that we prioritise our mental health. Um, but um, but yeah, for me right now, I'm I'm, I'm pretty okay. Um, but yeah, so that definitely helped. I think as well, coming back to work. I was probably quite, I was quite hard on myself. Yeah. Um, as I say, I wanted to be that same person as I was before. I left on a high. I knew that I was doing really well. I was really, um, I felt like I was pretty well regarded by my business, etc. And I just felt like I was letting people down by not being that same person. Um, and that's really hard because mm. I think I'm a people pleaser. That's mm-hmm. the type of person I am. I, I, and I seek validation from, in everything I do. And so I just... Yeah, there was definitely, so 100% areas that I could have um, done a bit better. But I think one of the biggest areas was coming back a little bit too early. I came back when, I came back after nine months because I had had such a bad maternity leave. I just wanted to be me again. Yeah. I just wanted to go back to work and find myself. Mm -hmm. Um, And actually that that didn't really happen for a little while. But over time, I've definitely got better um, at being able to, I guess just understand when it's you know when the build-up's coming, when I know that I'm getting overwhelmed, um, and then I would take myself out of that situation. As I say, now that feels like, I feel, feel, it was only two, it was only, yeah, I've been back for like, nearly two years, a year and a half, and um, it feels like forever ago, and I'm in a very different space, and I'm very, very happy. Um, but yeah, it's uh, coming back to work, I think, after trauma is very difficult. I think for the person who's coming back, it's really hard. I think for the employer, it's really hard mm. because they don't really know what the right thing to say is. There isn't a guidebook for this, no. which actually I think that's something that as employers probably should consider. There, there you know, there are resources out there, um, and then I think this is becoming a more topical area, or a more focused area um, around people having, you know, postnatal depression or indeed just very difficult times or you know the people who come back and and they don't have a baby after their return to leave you know mm-hmm. and that's devastating mm-hmm. i obviously i've not been in that position and i can't even imagine how hard that is mm-hmm. but i'm sure they still want to work those people so we need to be better at dealing with that um dentu actually have just released their new maternity policy um which is up to 12 weeks another week for every uh another paid week for every week that you're preemie or your um, sick baby spends in hospital i think just and there's some resources as well um, when you come back to work from from them um i think you know things like that that was in the news recently i think that type thing more focus around that um is great yeah so i'm a big champion of of, um people talking i think just get let's get talking and not try to hide things because it's so much easier when people know what you're going through than trying
0: to hide it and it festering somewhere yeah. and manifesting in something else. Yeah. Like actually being able to be vocal. And when um, we spoke earlier, we spoke about you coming from a place now of empowerment about yeah. your second mat leave. Yeah. Which I, I went for dinner last night with the girls and I was shouting <laughs> that oh, <laughs> It was a really, I don't know, I really it struck me about that. Can you we'll yeah. definitely come on to what employers can do? But I know not all employers are great. Yes. or receptive yes. so for anyone who is in that situation what are the steps that you've taken yes. this time around wanting to yes. return to work being really successful like yeah how have you empowered yourself yes. in this Natalie?
1: um so i think i'm in a really lucky position in that i work for a small business so they're very approachable when it mm-hmm. comes to this kind of thing so I understand that, you know, not every employer is going to be the same. However, um, I think that's a big thing, actually, is finding mm-hmm. an employer that you feel that you can speak to. Yeah. Um, so making sure that you're in the right place. And that's you know, a general comment. Um, as I say, for myself, I've had quite a good experience in that I've been able to have the conversation. Um, so, for example, this time round, having had a bit of a tricky one last time, mm-hmm. I've definitely learned from my own experience and i've um, equipped myself a little bit better so you know be it listening to podcasts um, be it be reading more um, involving myself in groups etc in and around um, parenthood um, diversity and inclusion i think that i feel a lot more knowledgeable so i would definitely suggest to anyone try to clue, clue yourself up on your rights. Um, there's a great website called Pregnant and Screwed, um, and mm-hmm. that's a, just a really helpful resource for what your rights are. Um, now, as I say, hopefully you, you won't need to know them. Hopefully you'll have a good experience like I did. But if you do, it's good just good to know yeah. what your rights are. Um, there's a great podcast called The Comeback Coach. That's also really helpful. Um, and in that, she actually gives some really good top, topical questions on what you should be asking around p- prior to your return to work and that's things like you know what support will i be needing etc so i think definitely involve yourself in in podcasts try and find a community of people like-minded to yourself there's lots of resources out there um, you know facebook's great for finding communities um so i know that myself I've, i'm part of a williams syndrome community and um it's like a WhatsApp group. I'm on Facebook as well, but we've got a side, little sideline <laughs> um, WhatsApp group. And it's great. I speak to the women pretty much every day. Yeah. Um, we're all, we've got kids all around. And there's probably, there was, I think it started off as around 10 of us. There's probably about 15 or so. You know, William syndrome's not that common. Um, but, and we're all up and down the country. I don't think there's anyone else. Maybe there's like one other person in London. But we're all over the country. And we just chat. And, mm. you know, be like, oh, I had this issue today. Has anyone had that? Mm. Or, you um, there's very like obviously I've got we've got disability areas that we have to focus on around saying like special educational needs and things like that so you know we'll be talking about that and so it's just really really helpful and there's a few kiddies that are maybe a year older than Lachlan my mm-hmm. boy's uh, well, called Lachlan by the way um <laughs> there's a few kiddies about a year older than Lachlan so they're kind of going through it a little bit before us that's great me coming mm-hmm. in so I'm thinking okay right I should be thinking about that um so be involved in communities I think for me personally being very career driven, mm. but also wanting a family, and yeah. you can have both. Yeah. I'm, I de- you can definitely have both, and even in the difficult, most difficult of circumstances, you can make it work. Yes, okay, you might have to throw money at the problem, which is full time childcare, but um, <laughs> which is very expensive. But um, but you can have both. Um, I think it's just about planning. Yeah. So I've already started that conversation of what does my return to work look like this time? What does you know does my job look like mm-hmm. what opportunities are there for me to be involved in don't feel that just because i'm off you can't contact me yeah. i'm also already planning my kit days around so i get 10 keep in touch days which is actually really good but um but yeah however many keep in touch days you get use them effectively so use them to be in big company meetings use them to be seen when you're in those company meetings be hard mm-hmm. try to garner your sponsors Um, and really just think about what you want on the other side now one thing that everyone said to me is you don't know what position you're going to be in when you return to work you don't know if you even want to work now me actually I don't think that was that helpful because Mm. if you know what type of person you are such Mm. as are you really career hungry I am so I can't even imagine a time that I would have all of a sudden said actually i no, i don't want a career anymore yeah so i think if you know that about yourself why not equip yourself early yeah now that's not to say you're not going to enjoy your mat leave and you know have all that amazing time with your new baby but it's just keeping a little bit of a you know a finger mm-hmm. on the pulse um you know keeping in touch on like linkedin various resources campaign and even asking your business you know if you've got spare tickets for your conferences often a lot of our businesses sponsor conferences they'll have an allocated amount of tickets that might not be getting used, um, ask them if you can have one. You yeah. know? Um, perhaps you can organise childcare for that day. So there's definitely things that you can do to feel empowered. Um, and I all I would say is I wish I'd done a bit more of that last time. Now, time didn't permit because of all hospital right. things. But this time, 100%, I'll be a lot more lean in, I
0: would say. And, and now with... You said, like, you've got childcare, your baby's doing well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, How have you kind of continued to feel supported, Yeah, feel like you're thriving at work, make that yeah. decision to have a second baby? Yeah. Like, I would imagine for a lot of women and families, that first experience might have hindered a lot of those yeah. ambitions.
1: Yeah. It's a really... F- Great
0: question, and I
1: think for me it's a little bit complex to answer. Um, being completely truthful, if there had been no issues with Lachlan, I probably would have had one and concentrated on my career. And um, That makes me sound really selfish. I'm not. I no. promise. I just wanted to concentrate. Yeah, plan. that was yeah. my plan. Um, because Lachlan is amazing, but he is challenged in some ways. I want, I want to, I want to experience normal parenthood too um and so we decided to have another one also I think for my little boy it will be amazing for him to have a sibling he's got so much love I just think it's going to be wonderful to see so we decided my husband and I decided yes we did want to try again for another one um which again luckily we've been we've been very blessed um to have another one um we did have I yeah so we did have the kind of plan around I'll take the time to leave again. Um, I'm not sure in this country if we're quite open to the idea of um, shared paternity enough. I know that there's some amazing um, couples out there who are, you know, both absolutely open to that idea. Um, For for my family that wasn't quite right, Um, however I do think as an industry, or actually as a country, we could be doing more around that, around really pushing the agenda. Um, if we look at country you know places like Scandinavia, I was talking to a friend from Norway recently and she was saying that um, in where she's from, her business, they do they split the maternity leave into three sections. Mm. So the, the, the mom, the person who has the child, um, has the first third. Then the second third is op- is um, the dad, sorry. And then the third, third, I think you can split these two either way. is open to either so either parent can take mm. it. So, if, for example, the mum did the first and the second third, um, talking about obviously in a traditional family setup, in a, a you know first and second third, and then the third third <laughs> was open <laughs> to the the, <laughs> the, the the partner. Yeah. Then, if that partner chose not to take it, they would lose it so it wouldn't be that the the mom would just continue to have all the whole maternity leave she mm. would lose a section of her maternity leave mm. so i think that really focuses us or people on you know yeah you want to get paid right you want to have that paid time support so that does for focus you on taking both people taking it so both people hang up having a little bit of a career break um so i would say we could do more around both parties involved in the pregnancy to to Perhaps put their career on hold a little bit um but yeah i mean it's a uh, movie that's a bit idealistic moment. we're moving towards it, i think there's definitely movement but just to. maybe not fast enough <laughs> yeah
0: you've got to set the goal and get as close to yeah. it right if the goal is too short and yeah i think it's better to have those ambitions yeah and I, I think we actually do this for the podcast but has it shaped you as a manager now, like I'm assuming you, I mean, you're the first person to go on that, Leave you're the first person in yeah. your company. Has it started to shape how you support other women or how you yeah. even ask men to support other women yeah. or people who are going adoptions, anything like yeah.
1: that? I think for me,
0: now Ozone's are still
1: pretty, we're about 100% strong, so we're quite a small business, but we've not got too many people having maternity leave mm-hmm. right now um so it's not been um there's not been that much need for me to support another uh, lady on the team um but you know we do have a couple of guys actually and yeah i've definitely i think just because i've been through it myself yeah. i'm a lot more aware of just how tough parenthood can be especially early stages you know it's hard regardless if you're having a, a whale of a time you know sort of easy time of it if you will easy with you know um or a more difficult time. I think it's a very tough adjustment and it's a very steep learning curve and people need support in that time. Um, I'd say on my empathy levels, I've always felt quite empathetic, but my empathy levels are a lot larger now. Um, And yes, I feel like I'm but then I feel like most parents are, you know, most 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 of the parents that I work with are very approachable on the subject of child, children yeah. and giving extra time if you need it for, the, you know, a child's appointment or something like that. I'm very lucky that, yeah, I've, I've never really experienced, having only been a parent in one company, I've never worked anywhere else, um, but I've not experienced not being able to talk about and need what I need. Um, but yeah, I think, I think it's helped me, but I think becoming a parent helped helps a lot of people to be a bit more understanding, I suppose. Mm-hmm. I think before you're a parent, you might not necessarily understand why people need to take a bit of time off for certain things. I know mm-hmm. I probably didn't understand that, um, but now I,
0: I certainly do. Yeah. And this is completely random, but Lachlan, what's the origin of that name? Oh, so it's very, very Scottish. It's very Scottish. <laughs> very Scottish. <laughs> so we got someone Irish on our team, I was like, is it Irish? And she was like, Locke. And I was like, Scottish <laughs> <laughs> we've got it <laughs> very Scottish
1: there's two names there's actually Lachlan or Lachlan um we like both. beautiful yeah. name Lachlan Lachlan I mean, so Scottish isn't is its it? Is it common yeah. in Scotland um strangely it's really common in Australia no yeah Lachlan Murdoch is in part of the you know yeah. The Murdoch's yeah wow yeah. okay. But yeah, no, it's, it's it's not uncommon, it's not common, yeah. it's this kind of like, first time I yeah, heard it. down here it's very uncommon, Else yeah. it's quite difficult <laughs> to, to say, that's why, to be honest, he's known by Lockie.
0: Lockie.
1: <laughs> he's just a little Beautiful Lockie, a. yeah. Lockie's cool. And but do you know uh, if you're yeah. having a boy or a
0: girl? No. No, surprise. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Don't know what it'll be. I'm Give me excited a, to yeah. hear the name. <laughs> I think <don't know. laughs> it'll be something Scottish. <laughs> 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 Give it away. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Boys, we've, we've definitely got our boys' name. Another very Scottish name. Um, girls more tricky. So, really, yeah, yeah. Don't know that many really Scottish girls' names actually. I mean, it has to be Scottish. Is well, your husband Scottish? He would. Well, his phrase on life is: if a dog's born in a stable, you don't call it a horse. <laughs> which is his mum and dad are Scottish, oh, his sisters are Scottish, and still got that accent, yeah. but um, he's three sisters, but uh, Liam was brought up down here, he was actually born down here, and brought up down here, yeah. and um, yeah, so he's definitely English, but we won't accept <laughs> it. I <laughs> suppose the only last thing that I wanted to do is I wanted to give a big up to my husband, actually, oh. um, so he has just raised a whopping £17,000, For William Syndrome charity, for our William Syndrome charity, William Syndrome Foundation, um, through two grueling challenges. Now, my husband actually works in the industry as well, he works at Mediacom. And um, so, Liam Dawson,
0: here's your shout out. (laughs) Um, Yeah,
1: exactly. So, I'm so proud of him. He um, He cycled the North Coast 500 in five days, which uh, the North Coast 500 is an absolutely gruelling, steep cycle. In fact, day one is the steepest um, ascent in the UK. And then you've got five more days of that or four more days of that. Um, so that was that was really tough. He did that with a few friends who are amazing. who may, Many of them work in the industry as well, actually. Um, and then he did Amsterdam Math in last weekend. Wow. So Or this weekend just last. Yeah, with another chap, that um, Mark Jackson, who works in industry too. And yeah, they did so well. So it's um seven yeah, seventeen thousand pounds. So many of the people hopefully that are listening to this probably supported us. So thank you very much. It's honestly uh, it's very touching and for a small charity like William Syndrome Foundation, that goes so far. Mm. So
0: yeah. And is there a link that people can still donate to? I will give you the link. Yes, you can pop it on. Thank you. Yeah, (laughs) every penny counts. Of course. Well, thank you so much for this. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you very much. Cheers. A big thank you to Natalie. If you want to donate to what is an amazing cause, then links will be in our show notes and via our website. We will also link to any resources mentioned. In exciting news, at the time of releasing this episode, Natalie and the Ozone Project team have just won Media Brand of the Year and Sales Team of the Year at the Media Week Awards. If you want to find out more about the work they are doing, I will link to them too. Join us next week as the US edition of our podcast is back with yet another episode. We hope you will see you next time for Life in Digital.